Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Inside the Studio, presented by iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Joe Levy. So this time out, I got to talk with LP and Killer Mike of Run the Jewels, who have made one of the hardest, craziest, and most politically charged hip-hop albums of the year. Although, actually, you could pretty much say that for any year in which Run the Jewels puts out an album. But still, the the early June release of this one, which is called Run the Jewels 4, felt a little deeper, coming as it did just weeks into the protest marches that spread around the country and around the world after the killing of George Floyd by the police in Minneapolis. Run the Jewels 4 has been rightly hailed as an album that catches the mood of that moment. In fact, Killer Mike told me that he's heard from protesters around the country who've taken up one song from the album, it's called Walking in the Snow, as something of an anthem on their marches. And in that track, Mike talks at one point about the TV news showing a man like him, that is, a black man, choked out by the police while whispering the words, I can't breathe which, of course, were the exact words used by both George Floyd this May and Eric Garner six years before that. So the sad fact is that Walking in the Snow is a song that both describes a system that's been broken and deadly for a very long time and a a song that feels like it was written 10 minutes ago in reaction to what's happening right now. As Killer Mike and LP told me, Run the Jewels 4 was actually recorded last year. The original plan before the pandemic was to release the album in the spring and for Run the Jewels to go out on the road with Rage Against the Machine, who were slated for a reunion gig at Coachella. Now, LP comes out of the 90s underground hip-hop scene in New York. He was in the trio company Flow, and and he was also a co-founder of the crucial indie label Def Jux. Killer Mike is from Atlanta, He earned his nickname as a battle rapper, and he made his recorded debut in 2000 on a cut from the outcast classic Stankonia. And the two of them began working together about a decade ago when LP was slated to produce a couple of tracks on a Killer Mike solo album called Rap Music. Mike heard what LP had done and convinced him to produce the entire album. And part of what their partnership in Run the Jewels shows is how the internet has just about erased any space in between whatever we call alternative and mainstream hip-hop. 
I mean, we, we live in an age when music can come from anyone, anywhere, with or without a label, and it can sound like anything. A Run the Jewels track might be futuristic, or it might be an old-school throwback. It, it might start out with some New York experimental rock and then shift into a southern syrupy style. On Run the Jewels 4, the, the guests include 2 Chains and Pharrell on the one hand, and Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age and Zach DeLaRocca from Rage Against the Machine on the other. I mean, this is music that does whatever it wants. In the same way their music doesn't sound like just one thing, their songs don't stay in just one place. These guys can move rapid fire from shit-talking to heavy thinking with a lot more in between. There's a fair amount of humor on Run the Jewels 4. The album is set up as episode four of a ridiculous fictional television show cross between, I don't know, the A-Team and Dukes of Hazard. Maybe it's that cop show that the Beastie Boys were starring in in the Sabotage video. Whatever it is, it's about two antiheroes on the run fighting against crooked cops, and it's called Yankee and the Brave, which is a reference to the Yankees and Atlanta Braves baseball caps that LP and Killer Mike wear. But the, the final track on the album is called A Few Words from the Firing Squad, and it goes somewhere more emotional than these guys have gone before. LP told me about how originally he planned to put drums on this track. What you're hearing is almost what they started with, and once he and Killer Mike began putting their verses down and talking about the women in their lives and their core values, he decided against tinkering with it. I didn't want to take away from anything Mike was saying. I didn't want to take away from anything I was saying by overproducing it. It needed to be something that felt really clear and felt, and felt really powerful because I think that um, it demanded it. You know, the, what we were saying as Jamie and Mike needed to be front and center and needed to be heard, so... LP and Killer Mike talked in depth about that song, and they also talked about how they've tried to keep their business as Run the Jewels and also the other side businesses outside of music that they've started, keep these things going during the pandemic. And most importantly, about how and why they work together. Here's what else they had to say. Killer Mike, LP, welcome to Inside the Studio. Hey, thanks for having us, man. Uh, although none of us are actually inside anything resembling a studio, I'm in my living room. LP, you're where are you? I'm just on a I'm just on a deck. I'm just on a deck. I'm just yeah, on a deck. Is, okay. Yeah. Not actually DJing on this particular deck, but uh, no, no, a, like a literal wood deck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and and Mike, where are you at? I'm in my gaudy ass dining room that my wife designed with African mask on the wall and shit. Oh, nice. Obviously, uh, Run the Jewels 4, or episode 4 of uh, Yankee and the Brave, as you put it on the first track, has been uh, received as one of the best albums of the year so far, and most definitely an album that helps people, whether they're listening like me on their headphones or out in the street, cope with things right now. And how's that feel? It's been amazing. I'm, I, I, you know, it's connected with people on a level that we, you know, are blown away by. You know, but, you know, I, I think people love the music. I think people I think the music is 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 giving people energy. And I think that people are connecting with the spirit of the thing. So I'm, I'm honored, man. I really am. I think that we just make we just make music and we just try and please each other, you know, make sure that we feel like we repped, you know, who we are. And um, you don't know how people are going to react to it. But we felt like this was a special record. So to, to, to have people react like that is 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 amazing. Feels damn good. Um, on some hip hop shit. Like, I'm love that it took times and it resonates. I'm loving that people are rapping our words. I'm missing y'all. I look forward to getting out on the road next year, but just the perfect phrases, it just feels damn good. And of course, a lot of people are receiving it as a, very much an album of the moment. And uh, I have to say that tracks like Pulling the Pin do feel like they could have been written like 10 minutes ago. Right. But I've read that the album was originally scheduled for release in April, and it is, yeah. after all, it was, it's a Run the Jewels album. You could go back to Thieves from Run the Jewels 3, and, and you could yeah. hear music that fits this moment. You go back to early. You go back, you know, you go back to Close Your Eyes. You can go back to, you know, I think that we, the truth is, is that 
people are tuned into that frequency right now. And 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 but the truth, but like you said, I mean, this album was going to drop in April, and we made it in 2019. So you know, this is where uh, this is where we were at in our heads in terms of our art and what we were looking at and the things that we were tackling. And so you know. Um, You you kind of wish that someday those types of uh, some of the ideas that feel really relevant right now will never feel relevant again. <laughs> you know that's that's the hope. You know, and then me and Mike can do the do our version of the kid and play kickstep or whatever it is that we got to come up with to like, you know, make happy music. Basically, um, those those things are connecting with people, and and more than anything, we wanted to give people something that just had life to it and energy to it and a little bit of a. Um, That we didn't want something that was that felt like it was despair. We want something that felt like it was um, resilience. Something that felt like it, you know, it could translate like puff your chest out a little bit. Like yeah, you know, the, you know, we see what you know some of the things that are going on. And yet, I don't think you walk away from this record feeling defeated. I think that you walk away from this record feeling energy. I hope you know. No, I mean, I would say a lot of it is fight music, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Thinking man's fight music or thinking people's fight music, as it were. For sure. But uh, one thing that, that really resonates, uh, I mean, Mike, you've talked about this. You've talked about hearing from people who are out protesting that they've taken up that track, Walking in the Snow, as they march. Yeah. And that's such a strong record musically and lyrically, but but it, it is, it's a fight song on some level, right? It is. And, and people have to understand that fight is the internal and external fight. It is the mental, spiritual and physical fight. You know, it is the warfare philosophy and ideology of good versus evil. It is absolutely a fight song and it gets you motivated. It is um, just really moves. And um, dare I say it's crunk because that's what Boo and that Memphis accent and energy gave to what the feeling was. She brought that out in, in that, you know, so. But the world does get so cold, you're walking in the snow. And people out there have called me. The homies have called me from Tampa and St. Pete. The homies have called me from New York. Homies have called me from L.A. At different times where that record was playing as people were protesting. So I'm very proud to have made something that fits the mood of the moment and motivates people and pushes the movement forward past the moment. But like you said, it is. You nailed it when you said it's, 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 it's thinking man's fight music because really... The fight that we are, the, the way that we're fighting on that song in particular is we're fighting intellectually against some of the concepts and some of the ideas that people are accepting, you know? Um, I think that there's an un, there's there's some obvious things that resonate really quickly with people. Like, for instance, you know, the, the clear thing about Mike, who was referencing um, Eric Garner's death, and obviously that resonated really quickly and very clearly with the moment of just very, very publicly had, you know, everybody experiencing those words being uttered again in the death of another black man in America. But what me and Mike are doing through the subtext of that whole song is trying to challenge and really debate some of the some of the mind frame and some of the intellectual positions that people are taking that are allowing this stuff to happen, that are allowing our ideals to be compromised. Um, And that's what I think is there in the song underneath it all when, when it finally, you know, once that shock of, of there being something that sounds, you know, really clearly of the moment, I think that there's something deeper there as well. You know, Mike saying, you know, never forget that, you know. Uh, the story of Jesus, the hero killed by the state. Jesus was killed by the state. And me challenging the idea of being, you know, if you're a Christian and yet you somehow find yourself politically on the side of people who are caging children, then perhaps you're not as Christian as you purport to be to yourself and to others, you know? Um, you know, so it is a fight, but I think it's a fight for the hearts and minds of all of us, you know? It's not a record that says go out and fight it, uh, it physically, although that's a result um, that can happen in, in culture and that, you know, sometimes has to happen, but... Really, that record is a, is, a, is a record of us saying like, hey, let's take this to task. Let's fight against these ideas. If you really want to back up your, your, you know, if you really want to back up your position, you know, here's, here's our argument, <laughs> you know. You know, there are some pr production choices on this track we're talking about, Walking in the Snow, that, that really hit me the more I listened to it. And, and one in particular, you take that, 
that chanting noise, that sort of posse in effect, yo, yo noise out from the back. And it, it becomes a whole different track, right? Because you, right. you lose that sense of community, but you also lose a little bit of that fighting spirit that we're talking about. Right. If you were to, if you were to take it out. If you were to take it out. So tell me a little bit about how this track comes together. Like, let's just talk about the recording, the concept. How does this all mesh? Which comes first? How's it happen? This track, more than maybe any on the album, evolved like really far from what it originally was. Elements of what it originally was made it into the track, but originally it was just one beat. It was a little bit more just straightforward all the way through. It was kind of just this soulful, funky beat. We both laid down our our, our main verses over that originally. And... um I just couldn't fight the feeling that this needed more more of a dynamic thing to happen. It felt like it was a journey and that the music originally that we had wasn't complete. It didn't feel like the music was bringing you on that journey as much, you know. Um, we created all these different sections and, and, and many of them changed and radically, you know, like... I originally, under my under my verse, there was another totally different beat that I had tacked on, and then, you know, so it was this. It was kind of a really epic and long creation of this thing, and going back and forth, and you know, sending it to Mike and being like, "What do you think of this?" And you know, we kind of just playing off of each other and vibing off of of, of how it felt, and ultimately, sort of. Uh, the original hook was just me sped up saying that. And I was like, oh, this isn't right. Like, it kind of sounded like a, a shitty version of Gangster Boo, you know? And we were like, wait, we know the real Gangster Boo. We should get her on. Um, as a producer and as a technician, this was maybe the most intricate thing that we put together for the record. It was really ultimately about five different pieces of music that got melded into one piece of music. And I think that when you when you hear it and you hear the changes and you hear how things pull over and drag over into other sections. But every time you get to another section, it sort of metamorphosizes. And that was intentional. We wanted we wanted to follow how the conversation was changing as well throughout the song and highlight the fact that it was the same conversation with different perspectives. And that so each moment had to have its own gravitas. Like when Mike said what he said, it had to have elements of that original soul beat that we had kind of created for him when that he that inspired him so it was it was tricky but but i'm really proud of the way it all came together mike this is the track where you you bust out that line we'd be the heroes the breakers of change the busters of locks and and maybe this is just nerding out too much but i heard in that like a, a little recasting of the the famous run the jewels hand sign but the chain being snatched away maybe isn't one you wear around your neck maybe it's one that's holding you down mentally mm, yeah it's a return to the thinking of down you know what mm. I mean? You can't can't pick up your crown holding what's holding you down. Mm. Before you ever emancipate yourself from anything physical, you got to free your mind and heart of the need to be approved of by the oligarchs and the evil. You know what I mean? So, you know, we are, we are the heroes to break the chain, the bust of the lock. That's because our friendship, our musical camaraderie, our music all challenges convention every step of the way. So it's not like I'm going to come to your hometown and necessarily open up the cages for you, but hopefully mm. what 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 we do lyrically besides just be badass and dope as fuck is get you to take off some of the limits you were told and nobody even knows why. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So absolutely. I think our music does that for people because not because I'm arrogant enough to think that I have some magical superpower because people have literally told us like your music makes me feel this way. And I've been like, when I started seeing run the jewels get thrown up when people were fucking kayaking a hundred miles on the river and surviving and climbing mountains and shit and doing Spartan races. First of all, I was like, yo, I'm fat. I don't even want to do none of that shit. That's amazing <laughs> to watch. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> Our music liberates the soul. And, and and good, you know, good gospel music does that. You know, anything music you feel. And, and I think that there's a there's a celebratory feel to this record. Not like we ball and we pop in champagne, we made it but a celebration of life because we ain't dead yet, baby. So we're going to keep on living. Facts. And I think that you cast yourself, you, you know, you're, you're, we're in this, in this world and Jamie and Mike's world, you, we're authoring our own legend within the creativity that we have. We're, 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 we're writing our graphic novel. We're writing our film. We're writing our, we're creating ourselves as, as the image of, of who we want to be, our avatars that exist within this plane. And we chose Heroes. Now, the heroes are not um, perfect. 
Well, I mean, the whole album is set up as, as it's bracketed by this idea of you, Yankee from New York, Brave from yeah, Atlanta. Right. You two, yeah. you're on the run from crooked cops. Two, two fuck ups, petty, petty criminal fuck ups who are on the fucking run and but who are at the end of the day standing up to something and standing in the moment. They're moral. They're just. They believe the strippers should have a union. They support that. That's a real thing, and I really support it. And you do actually say that on the record. Yeah, yeah. It may take table dances up to $10, but I'll bite the bullet, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a good man. Wait, where are you getting for $10? Where, 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 I want to go there. Well, it, in Atlanta, he's in, a, he's in Atlanta, have, dude. He's in uh, Atlanta. Yeah, okay. He, think, uh, he yeah. thinks that's expensive. <laughs> um, yeah, he doesn't understand. Mike doesn't understand that it's usually 20. Never mind. We won't get into this too much. We'll, but but you know I think that I think that one of the things that me and Mike that I love about these that, that run the jewels is that they're you know it's based on our hearts it's based on our soul and and on our perspectives, and it's also constantly um, sort of challenging the idea that goodness is proper that goodness is clean that goodness is um, delivered to you in the way that you would hope that it was um, to match up to your sensitive sensibilities. And so being an anti-hero gives you a lot of room to have a lot of fun when you're being creative, you know? But it also allows you to remain um, honorable to the things that you think are important. And I think that, that when we, when that's, that's what we pull off when we do these records. And it's why we're allowed to be funny and stupid um, when we want to be. And, um, and it's also why... It, we never have any issues changing that mode and and and, be, and getting serious too. Speaking of the funny, stupid anti-hero, I think one of my favorite moments on this album is LP when you declare yourself a rudeness MacGyver <laughs> on Holy Kalama Fuck. But but it's also one of my favorite moments because it rhymes with Criminal Minder, which is yeah. a nod to the Boogie Down Productions classic oh, Criminal yeah. Minded. And yeah. I thought about this album a lot when I was listening to RTJ4. It came out in 1987, the year of Iran-Contra. And I remember at yeah. the time KRS-One and Scott LaRock talking about how if a kid in the South Bronx sold crack, he was a criminal. But if the government sold arms to Iran, which was illegal at the time, that was just business as usual. And that's, a, that's an idea I hear resonate through your work. KRS-One and BDP are a huge influence for me because when I was growing up, a white kid in Brooklyn, learning about my city in another way through hip-hop music, really, you know, uh, but also learning about world politics through hip-hop music. Now, th these, these were some of the first people that actually had my ear, you know? Like, KRS-One had my fucking ear. So when he talked about Noriega or when he talked about Iran-Contra or when he talked about, you know... Um, like this is this is stuff that actually clicked with me. That actually led me towards a, a, a world perspective. So yeah, the criminal minder was a straight homage to him because I look at it the same way I look at George Orwell. Um, I, I you know thought crime. You know, like yes, I am absolutely guilty of thought crime as defined by you know by Orwell. And so I look at them on the same level. I look at KRS One and George Orwell in terms of the effect that they had on my life in the same regard. Like. Um, and, you know, and also, by the way, that song, that whole first two verses of me and Mike was a, was a, was a stylistic reference to one of the greatest duos of all time. Slow the Hustler. Trigger the Gambler. the Gambler. Yeah. For, on, for, to their song, Broken Language, <laughs> which, which is, uh, which is just so cool to think because me and Mike, you know, I'm from New York, Mike's from Atlanta. But the fact that that was, I don't have to explain to Mike, Mike doesn't have to explain to me when we're referencing those styles. That's the other thing I love about Run the Jewels because me and Mike just know styles. And we really grew up being influenced by them and listening to them. Not only the intellectual stuff, but also just the straight rap shit, you know, the swagger shit. So, you know, yeah, that was a fun jam to make. That's actually one of my favorites on the album. Yeah. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Let's talk about another standout, Just. The chorus is, look at all these slave masters posing on your dollars. And, and Mike, there's an episode of your Netflix series, Trigger Warning, where you pull out a, a $20 bill and you deliver a brief history lesson, like talk, talking about, right, Andrew Jackson. And yeah. I feel like this whole concept might have been kicking around for a minute, you know? <laughs> well, but the crazy shit is that was Pharrell. Pharrell wrote that. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. The slave masters on my dollars kind of obvious like time as a kid you learn about slavery <laughs> you know what i mean it's it's right there for you to hear that's no surprise but i think that the reoccurrence of capitalism and slavery and stuff has popped up in my music a lot and it's and that's something i've had to contend with was being a capitalist and a business person myself but i think it's something that run the jewels touches on in terms of money but i, I think pharrell though just came with the perfect thread to sow the, the three verses that we put on there all look at capitalism and money and our relationship with it, but in different ways. Like I learned business through selling drugs. That's how I learned business. I, you know, when I, I didn't go for business, I went for religion and philosophy. I already knew how to make a dollar grow, you know, from selling drugs. And I've had to contend with the fact that for many years of my life that, that, I, that as a child, I made this very adult decision at a time where anybody who had any intelligence would have sold drugs because it was too easy not to do. But I have to say to myself when I'm castigating or, or promoting or pushing things down, am I a hypocrite? And I've had to accept that, that there's some things that, yeah, after you become an adult, you have your own kids and shit. You don't want us to go to the gas stations with 50 little dudes selling drugs after, but you've been little dudes. You know what I'm saying? So I've had to. I've had to reconcile those things. And a part of this record for me was stylistically doing a distinctly Southern style 
But at first, I didn't like two lines that I had in there that just made it some trap rap shit. And I needed to alter those lines to make it what it was, a philosophical observation of who I am in relation to business, being a businessman now, but that inception coming from selling drugs. Um, the, the fact that marijuana, um, although still has black men and women and brown people in jail for decades now, now is a legal thing that my white homeboys in, in Colorado and California participate in legally and abundantly. So we lost an opportunity to take advantage of alcohol 60 years ago because we were cut out. Let's not let legislation do that to us again. And the fact that a casino owner runs our country, you know, it, it shows us that yes, in America, you too can be anything and president included, but it shows you the mentality of the country that we are a criminal country. We promote criminal culture and we whitewash it or legislate it to make it acceptable. But we are no more in a country of rogues and criminals. And if we don't understand that in our relation to money, there is no road to improvement. Capitalism does prevail in the most vicious and evil way. And capitalism works like you're a participant in it or a victim of it. And it is obvious at this point by being even a compassionate capitalist, I am a participant. Hmm. I mean, this is important. And, and capitalism certainly comes up on this record, comes up on, on pulling the pin as well. And, and we can't really talk about justice of any kind we certainly can't talk about racial justice if we're not also talking about economic justice, right? Absolutely. First and Absolutely. foremost. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. I just left a meeting with a bunch of Black Panthers and a bunch of local organizers. And one of the biggest things that was talked about, and these are the original guys that were from the late 60s, early 70s, men and women, and the local organizers, men and women and people from the music industry. Um, and the, the, one, the number one thing talked about was, was economic stability, um, self-reliance and justice in terms of from the government and corporations in terms of helping my community stabilize. So absolutely. Mm. And Mike, you've mentioned your business profile. You run some barber shops. I, I think you were also, I've, I've read you also have food trucks, restaurants. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I own, a, a, we're growing a line of barbershops called The Swag Shop. My wife and I, we currently have three. Our mission in the next 24 months is to have 10 more um, to serve as a prototype to go, hopefully grow into a regional and national chain, much like Floyd's or Rudy's. Um, Tip and I bought a 50-year-old restaurant called Bankhead Seafood. We then partnered with a developer, Noel Khalil, out of, um, out of out of Atlanta, who's a business mentor, friend, and partner to um, to 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 roll this restaurant out. Um, and we started with food trucks. We're about to buy a second food truck so that we have two routes running, and our brick and mortar business should be up in the next 18 months. So, you know, I am definitely a I'm a kid from the neighborhood who who kind of went back and did what you're supposed to do and reinvest in the neighborhood. Now, your governor in Georgia pushed for early reopenings. Did you reopen your business? We did not. You did not? No, we did not. So, we and, did not. and are they still closed? Our barbershop just opened um, two weeks ago. The one downtown reopening opened with strict regulations. Our other two shops remain closed because we, we wanted to see what the first 30 days would be like in our downtown shop. Uh, we've had no infections. Our customers are healthy. Our barbers are healthy. So we got about maybe two more weeks before we decide if we're going to open with our restaurant because we operate in an open outside food truck uh, park area. We've been able to keep our restaurant closed, although we don't have a brick and mortar restaurant where people sit down. It's essentially you come in, you order, you take it in your food and you take out. So our trucks have been able to run. If anyone's interested, by the way, I also own businesses. <laughs> yeah. well, it's not as exciting as all that Mike just said, but I got a bar at a deli. <laughs> That's my story. And his deli has the best pastrami in New York. I'm a I'm a cat's customer, but let me tell you, Frankel's man, best pastrami in New York. Y'all don't y'all don't want to play with that. Frankel's in Brooklyn. Your bar is probably not open. Has your deli been open? The deli has been open for delivery stuff very carefully, and um, you know, like a lot of like a lot of businesses, um, you know, had had to had to uh, adapt. You know, you really you know, and the bar has been the same. We've experimented with doing some drinks to go and stuff like that, but it's been very difficult. And, and the truth of the matter is the most important thing has been, you know, for me being involved in businesses like that, the thing that really drove home to me during this whole thing that we're all experiencing right now is just how devastated the service community has been. You know, I, I'm very close. All my friends are in that community. And uh, and that's been the hardest part, making sure that they're okay and making sure that everybody's, like, you know, handled. And the same thing as a, as a, as 
co-business owners with me and Mike. You know, we have an entire crew of people who rely on us, um, whose whole year was supposed to be, you know, basically working for us as we toured, you know? You, you were going to go out on the road with uh, Rage Against the Machine. Correct. And and we still are. It's scheduled to be, in, in, you know, next summer. But but that, and me and Mike are okay sitting it out and, and, and clenching our teeth, you know, while, while that money isn't being earned. But people who are who work for us, that's really is their their livelihood, you know, and it's and it's not something that they can just take a year off of and not be affected by, you know. So it's been it's been it's been interesting. I don't know about what what you guys did with your businesses, whether you went to PPE for paytech protection loans, but. But a band can't run the jewels. Can't exactly do that, can they? You can to some degree. Yes. Oh yeah. Not run the jewel. Yes, you can. You can. Um, if you've got a payroll, you know there are things that you can do, um, and they and we have managed to get some of that um, going for them. And we've also relied on the kindness of our fans. You know, um, we've relied on the kindness of our of the jewel runners who have been incredibly supportive. We put a T-shirt up that fully benefited all of our crew members. That. You know, raked in a lot of money that went directly to them to be able to put it, you know, to be able to hold them over while they're waiting to be able to, you know, live, earn a living. Um, so we've 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 got a really strong community in that regard. And it's been very lucky, like people care. And, and that's that's a cool thing. And and, and we're definitely going to honor that by giving the, the, you know, these these great guys, you know, their jobs is the second that we can and giving a great show, you know, Um it's one of those things. I know Mike is dealing with it with his businesses as best as he can. And it's just one of those, like, you know, things that all of us got hit with. And now, you know, it's a curveball. It's like... We got we did, we tried, like, three times. We got shot down. But what we did is, the first month, we haven't charged our barbers anything. We've managed, um, even in closing, our rents were, were paid by um, online sales and things of that nature. And again, the food truck that's running is simply pick up and walk away. So in our food truck, Shaka Dyers, she was on CNN yesterday with Brooke Baldwin for Blackout Tuesday, her and Kevin Cohey, who runs One United Bank, which is a black bank we use. But she was on there yesterday. She's an amazing woman, former military woman, runs the hell out of our operations. She's our operations manager. But she purposely hires people that are on probation or have been involved uh, with a sentence and are getting out of jail. And we pay them fairly, and they get an opportunity to get back in the real world and work. Um, and they're respected, and they're treated well. And I respect her for that because service workers get, it's a shitty job sometimes when you're dealing with people who are in a rush, they have the attitudes, it's hell to keep firm and keep faithful and be just be nice. We have an amazing crew. These people are, um, are getting a second chance at going forward in life. And I wanted to appreciate Chaka for that because we, we, we were just going to hire people that, you know, deserve the job, which could have been anything from, 20-year-old kids making it through college to, you know what I'm saying, um, a 16-year-old kid who just wanted a job when he got off, got out of school. But she made sure that we had people who were interested in taking the whole ride with us. And what she's doing is growing more operations managers versus just employing people. And I really appreciate her for that. I want to bring it back to the music and, and ask a little bit how your your partnership musically has has changed or grown, if it has, over the years. You guys have been making music together for seven or eight years. Nah, 10 now. 10? If you count rap music, yeah. Oh, okay. Ten, it's 10 years, yeah. All right, all right. Yeah. So 10 years now, and... Eight is Run the Jewels, yeah. Seven or eight is Run. And, and LP, you were, you were talking about Walking in the Snow, how that track grew. It sounded like a lot of those production decisions are made face-to-face. Has that changed over time, or was that the method from the start? I'm sort of always making the record in a sense, you know, I'm always making the music. I'm always tweaking it. Um, So the face to face with me and Mike comes when I have something to present it. My greatest thrill is inspiring my, my rap partner. Like that's like, and when it comes to, when it comes to that first level is making something that I think is beautiful and, and something that I think is working. Um, but when I've, but when I get with Mike, the first round is just presenting him with like a menu list of, of things that I already know that if, if he likes them, then I'm, I'm good to go because I'm inspired by them. I don't, I don't play Mike anything that I don't like. I don't play him anything that I wouldn't rap on myself. Um, and, you know, be, you know, and then we whittle it down because, because the, the second wave is about inspiration. The second wave is about what happens, you know, once, once this music that I've been working on, um, hits the ears of my partner and hits us together in a room, you know, there's a different dynamic between me and Mike than there is with us alone. And we don't really do the, we don't do these records um, when it comes to writing them and, 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 and recording them. We do them in the same 
room. You know, we do them in the same place. May not always be at the same hour, um, but but we're always there. We're always around each other. And so that energy between me and him is different than what what might happen just alone. If I were just set set alone to just write some shit to my own music, so that inspiration thing is the really the one of the most important parts. You know, you bring the first level of sort of music in, and and then once once we kind of go away after we were inspired, I kind of go back in and tinker more, and it's and we keep doing that over and over again. Um, that's always been the method. The truth of the matter is, is that at the end of the day. I, I feel like it's evolved to the point where I know my partner enough to know that he is in tune with me and to know that if I really think some shit is dope, there's a good chance that Mike is going to think it's, it's great too. There's just a trust there with that. And then ultimately, you have to really confront it. Like, okay, is this, do you really, fuck, you know, if I change some shit or fuck around with it, I got to, I got, I got to run it past my partner because this is his record too. <laughs> he has to be able to know that this is repping him and he has to feel it. Like that's the only criteria. Everybody got to feel it. So there have been things that have changed simply just because it was a matter of making sure that everybody was like fully on the same page. For me, I can, I can keep going. I can keep fucking with shit, you know? So that's been my my joy of being a collaborative partner with with Mike and, and and how it's developed over the years because Mike is I trust our um simpatico I trust I trust our connection you know with music and I also um love that I get to react off of someone else I love that I get to react off Mike is my audience Mike is the audience to me and, and Mike you brought up rap music and you you've talked in the past about how you you pretty much hustled LP to, to produce that whole album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was going to come on for a track or two, and you were like, no, no, you're doing the whole thing. You're doing the whole you thing. You got to do it. You got to do it, so, man. So, you got to do it. So take me back to that moment. What were you hearing in his beats and his tracks that made made you want to hustle this guy for a whole album? I'll take you back a little further. So after after Monster on Columbia, um, it was a Dave McPherson, whoever was running it. Taught me about a profit and loss sheet and how even though I hadn't went gold, that I had made the company money. And that's why they weren't going to promote it anymore and get back in the studio and let's get another album going. I was like, this sucks dick. No one ever told me about this part of the game, right? <laughs> like, wait a second. It would have been better if you lost money? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I was searching for what I realized that Outkast had was an amazing machine mm. to put me out had I been ready with my own sound and identity. But what they didn't have was the time to develop another artist as they were at the biggest moment in their careers. And and nor was it fair to ask that of of them. You know, what 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 they did not have was someone to help me walk through finding Mike. It wasn't their responsibility to have. It's their responsibility to hear dope shit. And with that said, L well, before I got to L, I went in and locked in with Ray Murray. And when me and Ray Murray locked in, we did records that felt like um, what the guy who became half of Run the Jewels would have been doing. And the other half of the records felt um, distinctly Southern, smooth, slick, and the things that, that, that he could do and that he is a hybrid of. So when you're hearing just, you're hearing a Southern flow over a booming ass grind grind out track but it's distinctly southern so i remember playing those for puff i played like six records for puff three were what would have become the prequel to, to like a run of jewels type mc three were southern slick aesthetic and puff said i like them both he said man you really do both well and then i said but which one you like the most for me and he looked at me and he said that hard shit, be. And, and that was it. And now this is six years later, probably, I meet L. And when L played the first beat, the second beat, and the third beat, I knew this. I was born to rap on LP beats. No one was born to rap on LP beats like me, including LP, because LP is the greatest rapper producer on earth. So because he has to be a rapper and a producer, that is the only thing that gives me the edge. I am born to rap on his beat. And then I just then I just had to convince him to do it. And Jason DeMarco was in. My co-conspirator was Jason DeMarco. Jason was like, fuck that. We'll find the money. 
don't even worry about calling any other producers. This this went exactly as I hoped it did. And then I just start aggravating the shit out of L. Call him, hey, how you doing there, beautiful lady? Are you like a girl? Hey, what are you doing? You want to go to lunch? And I just start, well, you know, just gnawing that. Like, come on, man, we got to do this. And the next thing you know, him and Jason worked it out, and, and the rest is history. And I'm glad that L took that chance because he had been burnt by a lot of people. L is um, L is an amazing dude, and a lot of times people will take that amazing and they'll use it and they'll abuse it. And I'm not just talking about the old musicians who I don't know. I've people have fucked us over for charities and shit. And L has steadfastly just been one of the most giving, loving, encouraging, dope human beings. So I was. I was like, man, this white boy gonna go to the top. I'm sorry. Like, we we taking this thing all the way, man. And, and here we go, years later, just getting just getting started. I feel like the four record um quadrupleness was our was our cornerstone. And we have a pyramid to build now. And we'll we'll see where we are in 15, 20 years going in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, I mean, I've seen you guys at Madison Square Garden, so I know you can turn it out. I've, I've, I saw you guys open for Jack White, and that was some some shit to see two guys walk on stage and hold that place the way you guys did. Hell yeah. Yeah, Hell that yeah, was a proud moment, man. Thanks, Jack. Hell yeah. Real, real shit, man. Yeah. Real shit. And, and, you know, when the Rage Tour goes, we're going to be doing that shit. Uh, yeah. I mean, what, L had me nervous as fuck before that show, too. Did I? Because it's a, as, yeah, hell yeah, man. L, I like, Jack White is important. He's big. But I'm still a black guy from Atlanta. So I, I, I was like, you know, yeah, we're going over for Jack White. And L was like, yo, this is big, son. We can't fuck up. You can't get too high. Forget your words. We got, and I'm just like, I'm just like, oh shit, oh, oh shit, they're gonna hate us. They're gonna, and we went out and we killed it. And I was, well, that's I, that's we just that's just because <laughs> when you're when you're born and raised in New York City, getting Rock a chance to play. Getting a chance to play Madison Square Garden. I mean, we literally have a song on our record Absolutely. that's inspired by that. Getting Absolutely. a chance to play Madison Square Garden is, is to some degree, you feel like, well, once I do that, I can retire, you know? Yeah, yeah. And there have been amazing moments like that for us that really um, let us know that um, we were on the right track in the sense that, like, the way that we approached our show and the way that we gave, gave to our show... Um, once we never changed that, like even when we were doing small clubs, when we first started, we were doing small clubs and we were doing 500 people. And sometimes it wasn't 500 people and sometimes it was a thousand people. But that it was a humble, it was a humble, you know, it was a humble, you know, underground hip hop groups touring schedule, you know. But we never acted like we never, you know, for us, it was always just like, well, if this is our stage. So we we're gonna play this shit like we're Run DMC at Fresh Fest. We're gonna play this shit like we're Absolutely. at a stadium every time. And and every when time. when it came time for the for for us to actually get those opportunities, and people started bringing us out to do stadiums, um, and arenas, etc. It wasn't much of a transition for us to be able to hold that down because. I don't know. I guess some people do things differently. Maybe some people give a smaller show for a smaller venue, but we always gave the biggest show that we could in our heads in every venue. So it didn't really change when we got onto that stage. It was, I was like, oh shit, we can do this. It was, you know, we then went on a tour with, I mean, and of course we've done huge festivals and been in front of hundreds of thousands of people and, you know, Lord. But yeah, the Lord tour was also a big one. Blackberry. The Lord tour was interesting because that was our yeah, first straight right. tour of arenas. And we were the opening directly before a wonderful musician who's absolutely not in our genre, you know, like absolutely didn't share a fan base with us. So she loved our music. She brought us on. And we knew that that was we knew that that was our sort of tour where we knew every single night it was our job to turn an audience that and, and sometimes there was a lot of Run the Tools fans. But most for the most part, it was mostly, of course, Lord fans who didn't really know who we were. Yeah, you had that first wave that was like the first few rows would be. But our fans were like in the middle and back. But what was weird is that there were so many dates right out there. There were, there were dates. There were dad-daughter dates. And there were just like young guy, young girl dates. And when we came out and started smashing, you could see the dads and daughters. You could see the girlfriend and boyfriends. You could see the women turn to the men and look at them like, you motherfucker. And the guys are looking like, hell Fucking yes. Yeah. So like, I, I thought I, you were I, doing I, something I for me. You were doing something for you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I, I must say that that was one of the things, because I always watched the crowd. I noticed that. And it was, you know, it didn't, it, it, it was, even if it was just a couple dozen or a couple hundred some nights, 
it was enough for me to know that 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 we're going places, baby. Because <laughs> yeah. I would I, the only way my sister were gonna get me to go see fucking um let, let me see who my sister loved ABC is if Ice Cube was open. That was it. <laughs> that, was it. That, that would be an interesting pairing, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know. I know, right? <laughs> I liked ABC. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We got to talk about the the last track on the album, A Few Words for the Firing Squad. So this is something, this is this is intense. Yeah. It's something maybe a little different for Run the Jewels. LP, you've, you've said this song is for the women in your lives. You you talk about your wife and your sister. Mike, you talk about your mom passing and and your wife who, who says to you she needs a husband more than the world needs another martyr. Tell me about putting this song together. It started just as a sound bed, not very dissimilar from what you hear in the final Pro, you know, the final product, um, it, it, and which is interesting because in my mind, I always thought that it would evolve and there would be drums and there would be, it would, it, you know, I intended to turn this thing into uh, more of a traditional sort of beat, you know? Um, I thought that it would be, there would be a buildup, but then it would be, we'd be rapping over drums. But the the strings that we had, um, you, know, you know, laid down and the and um, just the sort of the, the baseline and the energy of it was so invocative and just um, that it moved both of us, I think. I, I, I did it, I did my verse first. And, you know, a lot of times with Run the Jewels, for the most part, you're hearing the unfolding of inspiration as it happens. In other words, if, if a lot of times, if, if Mike is first, that's because Mike had an idea first, you know, um, and vice versa. And on this particular one, I had been moved to um, by this music. I had been sort of just listening to it. And it was really, in, in, it really put me somewhere. Um, and I, I, I put my verse down first and, it, you know, the, um, and Mike followed and, and, you know, me and Mike, you know, back to your question about how our, our creative relationship has evolved. I think that we have an unspoken ability to 
pick up on what the other person is feeling and to and and then to come in with something that complements it. Now, it's never about doing you know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to do what you did. And, and it's it's more like I'm going to honor the spirit of where you are on this. And um, I think um, th this is a good example of that, where it was just really beautifully synced up, where we we knew. Mike knew what I was trying to do with this when I when I laid my, my verse down. And, and my verse was very personal. I think they're both very, very personal, both of them. Um, and they're also defiant. And they're also, you know, and I think that it's my favorite Run the Jewels song um, on this record. It may be one of my favorite Run the Jewels songs ever uh, because it captures everything that I think really Jamie and Mike are about, more so than the characters of LP and Killer Mike. Um, and every record has to have that moment where you take your superhero cape off and just and you're just laid bare. Like, this is really who we are, period. There's no playing around on that song. It's it's It's... It's very genuinely both of us. And it's everything that I love about what we can accomplish together when we're really in that zone. And you can't do this for every song, but you need, because it needs to be special and you need to feel it. It needs to be, um, it needs to be time for you to do this. But laying yourself bare and even risking some people not completely getting exactly what, you know, I'm talking about things that only my sister and my mother know about. You know, that really know about and referencing those things, um, but also the fact that there's defiance and that we're relating who we are and what formed us to what our attitude is now. And I think that when you, when, you know, when you leave this record, um, hopefully what you feel from that song is almost like a, an emotional history to qualify and for people to understand why we stand up the way that we do when we stand up, what it is that it means to us and how the people in our lives are really have influenced us to try and be better men, try and be um, honorable men. And, and Mike, when it came to your verse, when, when Jamie had laid down his verse and it came to you, where, where, where was your head at? Oh, my head had been fucked up. I'm a few, like a week or two of those three years, my mother, you know, has been gone and, you know, my mother was um child when she had me. So her mom was my mom. And I remember when my grandmother died. My grandmother died um like eight years ago. And it just it fucked me up. Like I didn't even talk for a day. I was just my sister is like, you gotta get over this, get past this, you gotta you know, you got a family to leave. So, you know, like she told my grandfather died, you got a day or two to mourn, but you know, with that said. My sister, I was so hurt. My sister and wife dressed my grandmother's body. And, you know, it's just traditional Southern stuff, right? But man, I didn't know. I thought that death had hit me with the hardest blow it could hit me with. You know, my grandmother was my mother. My mother told me, she said, you know, I know you love your grandmother, but when I go, you're going to understand that I'm your mother. You know, so we had this lifelong relationship where she was a big sister as much as a mother. And I, I, I saw her as a mother. She was my mommy, but I never felt it like I felt it when she died. And we had stayed in Europe to do some Run the Jewels business. And I made the decision to stay. But I uh, I just, you know, sometimes you just feel like maybe I didn't make the right call, you know? And luckily, my man Sleepy had got to the hospital. So I got a chance to talk to her, you know, FaceTime. I think the plane was taken off, but it was still on it. But somehow I wasn't supposed to be on that call, but I was glad it happened because she was dead by the time I landed. She had transitioned. But I, I didn't go to therapy afterwards. I didn't talk to any mentors, religious scholars. I literally just went back to work. I remember that New Year, her, her birthday would have been on January 3rd. We were in Australia the following year. And my wife put together an impromptu breakfast. And the crew and Elle and his wife and everybody came down. And it just made me feel better. But that was just a grief there. And this record gave me an opportunity to just pour. And it just... You know, I, I, I listen to it now and still tear up because, you know, my mom was just, she was a beautiful, beautiful soul that was tormented by the world. Like people who, who are addicts are terribly sensitive. People who are depressed a lot of times spend their time making other people happy. You know what I'm saying? And she did all of that. And the best description is uh, an ex-D boy who turned into a real estate guy who um, took his mom's what his mom left him after he died and built a small little nice fortune for himself out in the cab. He said, man, I felt like I lost my life coach when your mom died. He, and, I, and I said, yeah, man, the coach is gone. And she did that, for, even though she couldn't be a mother to me, 
she was so much of a mother and guy and coach to so many dudes to get them out of the streets and legitimize themselves. And my mother, you know, it was she could be a hard personality to deal with. So I, I'm at peace with the fact I wasn't there. I'm at peace with the fact we talked. So we knew she loved me. I'm at peace that with the fact that I couldn't be there, but I needed to say it. And that record gave me an opportunity because I wanted to say it. I didn't know how to say it. At that time, I was so angry, you know, just angry. I couldn't even sit on the couch and, and get it out to a therapist. I had to get it out in song. And, you know, I was just beating myself up physically. We were, we were going too hard, so... I'm glad the record gave me an opportunity to pour it out. I'm glad that I made peace with that. There's a shrine for my mother and grandmother up in my house. You know, according to my wife and I, spiritual release, you honor your ancestors. So there are shrines for the people that have been here before. But my mother's is the one that I talk to daily. I get up every single morning and, 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 and could make sure I communicate, you know, with her. You know what I'm saying? So that, that meant a lot to me. That record still means a lot to me. And of course, the very last thing on the record, we, we circle back around to the Yankee and the Brave concept. <laughs> so I need to ask you, baseball is starting back up. Are, are, are you guys genuinely into the Yankees and the Braves? Or are you looking forward to it? I, I, I'm a Brave fan. I'm a Brave fan. No. Although I, I can show you pictures of me as like a five-year-old with a Yankee hat on in Yankee Stadium. Um, but no, no, I don't care. I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I wish I could. I just don't. Um, but what I do love about sports is, is, is uh, and I don't follow it is what I mean when I say I don't care. I, I just don't follow it. I do enjoy sports. Um, We've also lived on a bus the last eight years. So it's hard oh, yeah. to watch. But that's no excuse for, that's no excuse for me. I've, I've, I lost the, the plot like 30 years ago. Um, but I love the community that it brings. And I do, and I, and you know, especially if you're a New Yorker, like I've rocked a Yankee hat forever. And I couldn't tell you t three people on the current Yankees team. Like I couldn't even tell you just because it's just law. My obsession became music. I never really, you know, I never followed it in the same way that a lot of other people do. But I do love the community of it. We felt like that was the right place to put that song, really kind of at the edge of the precipice of like, well, did they get shot? You know, did they die? You know, did they get killed by the firing squad? And I love that um, the record got to end with, oh no, they're still alive. And, and now here's the loop. It goes right back into the episode. You know, um, we have no interest in leaving people down. We have interest in surviving and going forward and, and there, and there being, even emotionally when people listen to the record, we just didn't want anybody to, we wanted the note to be funny and exciting when we left, you know? Um, I just want Freddie Freeman to get cured of COVID and for Akuna and Freeman and Nick to lead us to another world championship because I still love the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> and, I, and I don't like the Mets. So often I tip my hat to the Yankees. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so, you got to understand though, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, we used to play, we used to, we used to cut class, drink 40s and play handball. That was my sport. <laughs> or we used to go, or we used, and that was like just an excuse to hang out with your friends and smoke weed and hit a ball against, that was, shit was fun. And then, and then we used to skateboard and that was another excuse to cut school. And, and, and then, People are like, oh, man, you're not into sports. It's like, well, first of all, you got to understand New York City. We didn't have, like, dope, beautiful sports facilities. Like, we, you know, we were playing in, like, public parks. This shit had patchy dirt and shit and glass, and people were leaving crack stems and shit and, like, and, you know, dog shit. And, like, and, and then I also never quite understood the joy of being yelled at. Like, I just don't like being yelled at. <laughs> yo, yo, Aaron, You don't understand the, the joy of being yelled at. What are you doing in no. a rap group? What? what? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, do I'm, I'm doing the yelling, motherfucker. Yo, L, I was on the phone with Matt Ryan, the, cat, the, 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 um, the Falcons quarterback yesterday, and I was talking about this asshole teacher I had who turned out I loved her because she taught me civics and politics. Her name was Miss Ellison. Man, Matt, after I told, he said, yo, man, my fucking little league coach was an asshole. Coach Boss, he was like, <laughs> yelling. Matt is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the world right now. Thanks to that asshole coach. <laughs> I hear you. And you know what? He needed that tough love. Me, though, I'm a rapper. <laughs> yo, if you listen to me and L's story, you would literally think he was the black kid in the group. Because I grew up. We would, we would all my whole neighborhood. So the guy Sleepy from Church of Sleep, the episode from my TV show. Sleep really is my best friend. Like in terms of that, it's like a group of best friends that I have from different 
like from the street, sleep always made sure I was good. We went to we we met each other gambling at the bottom of a church. But he played baseball when we were kids. So the whole community would go watch all kids play baseball on Saturdays. It's what we did. I grew up in this wildly weird, wholesome, like all black enclave of mixed income stability. And L grew up in the grimy streets of New York. It's a so if you just if you just told people, yo, there's a black guy and there's a white guy. One guy grew up and it was never played, and the other guy grew up with like baseball leagues. They swear to God, they think it was the opposite way. No, but I you make it sound like I grew up on t- like like I was grew up on you know in the school of hard knocks. I had it I had it fine. We yeah, were yeah. we were chilling. I just mean in terms of the but type yes, of but, facilities, y'all. No, for sure, for sure. Like sports was never a thing. Like it's like oh, wait wait a second. So you're saying you want me to sign up to spend my time that's after school for the most part? <laughs> like, you want me to stay in school, put on some uncomfortable shit, run around in this <laughs> shitty area. Oh, uh, nah. Get yelled at constantly by some dude who I think is an asshole, and then you want me to go, <laughs> then you want me to go do a communal shower with everybody. Yeah, that's what like- your plan for me is. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm and, and suffice to say, I was out of high school by the age of 16. Until like, I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, I was done. I was in musical engineering school. Peace. Uh, well, um, so your tour has been rerouted for next year. Is that what we're thinking? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what it's, I mean, we made, they, they made, Rage made the official reconfirmation of the, of the whole tour starting next year. Yeah, starting in... Coachella, obviously, in April and starting in June with the tour. And that's all, of course, we're praying and, and you know, to, to whatever's out there that, that that happens and maybe America gets its fucking shit together so we can have some fun again. Yeah. Well, here's, uh, here's hoping so, because we really do want to hear this album live. Uh, and, and, guys, oh, yeah. I, I really want to thank you for being here. Thank you so much for joining oh, us. Oh, man, thank you, Thank man. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Good. All right. All right. Later, guys. Love. Inside the Studio is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.